Well, good evening, Clifford Baptist Church. Good to see you here in the sanctuary. And also, those who are streaming with us, thank you for joining us tonight for another lesson as we go through the entirety of the Bible, looking at the mountaintops and how God's thread of love runs through that entire love letter to us that he gave to us by his very inspiration, using about 40 human authors to give us his inspired word as he used these people to write it down. And we're studying that. We have been through the Old Testament. We have moved to the New Testament. Thank you for being with us. And as we begin tonight, if you're in the parking lot by FM Signal, uh, or here in the sanctuary, or streaming at home. We're glad to be together. So let's pray together. Our Lord, our God, thank you for allowing us to come to share together tonight. Uh, Father, this is a unique season for our country and for our world and for the church, Lord. So we just pray that you lead us through it. Help us always, Father, to follow you in all things. We love you, Lord. We are thankful to be together tonight to look at another part of your love letter to us, the Bible, Lord. Thank you that it is your inspired word. Thank you that there is no mistake, there is no error in it. And Father, we can trust the Word of God. We know that it is true. We know that it is from you. And we thank you, Father, that it is intended to draw us to your love and to your salvation and to your very heart. So bless us, we pray, as we open your Word tonight. Father, we thank you for it, and we love you and praise you together in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get started tonight... Uh, I also want to just make an announcement about something that's a new development uh, that we have really kind of nailed down just today, last couple days, and that is we are going to have an additional worship service uh, in the month of September. Uh, and it's going to be a worship service that is very, very simple. It's going to start at 8.30 in the morning. Prayer, a couple hymns, sermon for the day. Uh, and we are going to make that worship service for those who want to wear a mask entirely through uh, the service as they come in, uh, as they share the service together. So masks will be required for that 8.30 service. And then, of course, for the 11 o'clock service, we still recommend that masks be worn, that we social distance, that we protect one another. But that 8.30 service is for those who want to wear the mask entirely uh, throughout the service, and we'll share that service together. So that's going to be in the month of September, and we will assess how the attendance is and plan from there. So that uh, is something I'm thankful that the pastors agree that that's a, a good outreach and a good beginning for our church. There are some people who have not been here since March, and we want to reach out and make sure that everybody is comfortable to worship at Clifford Baptist Church. So that's another step to make sure that everyone is going to be comfortable as they come. All right, tonight we are going to go to Lesson 26. Uh, if you have a study sheet here with you tonight, if you'd like to pull it off of the internet uh, sometime soon, uh, the heading for tonight's lesson, uh, the overall heading is the letters of the New Testament. We're going to be there for several lessons. Uh, this is lesson 26 after tonight. There are only six more lessons to go. Uh, we will end with lesson 32. Uh, but tonight's particular lesson is Paul's journey in Christ. So we are going to be looking at the great missionary Paul, uh, and I'll lead up to Paul's ministry through, the, through the, this lesson. In the last lesson that we had together, we studied the creation and the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ. And the church was to carry on the ministry and the outreach and the preaching 
and the teaching and the witness and the social reform that Jesus laid before us and that we're to reach to all people. We are to be a healing organization. We're to, to reach out to spiritual need. We're to reach out to physical need. Just as Jesus reached out to physical needs, we too are to be an institution of social reform. However, I do want to remind you that there is a unique blend there. We can't be totally social reform and not spiritual in nature as well. Uh, we're only going to see true healing come to the world when the name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and people come to him as Lord and Savior. So in the establishment of the church, we come to a turning point in the Bible. In the long run of the Bible, in the entirety of the Old Testament, the Bible really circles around one particular people. If you remember, uh, th there are two basic uh, points in the book of Genesis, and that is God's creation of the universe, and the second point is God's creation of a people, the people of Israel. And we studied four of the patriarchs of Israel uh, in the beginning uh, with the book of Genesis. But we see that there is a change that's coming about with the establishment of the church. So in the long run of the Bible, through the Old Testament, the Bible concentrates on the faith and the history of the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. Uh, it, it centers on their victories. It centers on their downfalls, God's healing, God's leading, God's patience with them. But it's about the nation of Israel. Uh, now, what was God's intention? What was God's true intention for creating a special people called Israel, the Jewish nation? What was God's intention for them? God wanted to use the Jewish nation to draw the rest of the world to faith in him. Uh, as it tells us in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, that God's intention for the nation of Israel was, was to be the light to all the nations. So the nation of Israel was to be the people of God to whom all of the world looks, would be looking and would be led to God. Did they accomplish that? No. No, Israel did not. They failed so often, uh, and uh, they did not truly bring a lost Gentile world to God. Uh, human beings, they are human beings, and of course they were uh, prone to failures and faults, and we saw many of them as we studied the Old Testament. Uh, now, let me also quickly add this. God still loves that nation. Uh, we are to be supportive of that nation because that nation gave to us our Savior. And so we are to be supportive of the nation of Israel. Uh, now, as Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, initially, his ministry was directed to his own family. Uh, for example, when Jesus gathers his 12 disciples, if you want to write this reference down or flip over with me, go to the book of Matthew and look at chapter 10 of the book of Matthew. And we see here Jesus giving his initial direction to his group of disciples and, and who they were to go to with the good news of a Savior. So look at Matthew chapter 10, look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now skip on down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, 
and in, into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So as Jesus initially gives a commission to his disciples, he says, I don't want you to go to the Gentile nations. I want you to go to the Jews. I want you to go to the Jews first. Take the gospel there. But we see the shift come in an amazing way as Jesus establishes the church. Uh, The gospel of God's salvation is not limited to the Jewish nation, but rather the gospel of God's salvation is to extend to all the world through the ministry of the church as God founded it through his son Jesus. Now, if you remember, we spoke last week uh, uh, pretty lengthily about the word mystery and what the word mystery means. In the biblical sense, the word mystery is a truth that God wants us to know But the only way we will know it is when God reveals to us that truth. We will not figure it out in our own wisdom. We will not be able to logically deduce this truth, but rather God has to reveal it to us. And the church is called a mystery in the New Testament. That's because God is revealing to us what the church is about, what the church's ministry is, what we're here for, what we're supposed to do. And here's his truth. Uh, We'll look at this scripture again tonight, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, here's what scripture says under the inspiration of God. Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. So Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and I will preach it, and I will teach it to all of the world, Jew first, but also to the Gentile. That's a very important guidance from the book of Romans as we see it. The church, the mystery of the church, as God reveals it to us, is that we are to reach all people, not a certain segment, but all people. As we open the book of Acts, we see the one book of history that is in the New Testament, has an interesting author. You know, the the Bible, written by some 40 authors, all of the authors are Jewish except one, and his name is Luke. Luke was a Gentile, and Luke wrote, of course, the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the history book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. Uh, Now, as we look at the history of the first century church, There are many, many names mentioned in the book of Acts, but two names rise to the top as leadership within the church. Peter. Peter is a Jewish man, and Peter is going to take the gospel to his own family, the Jewish family. Uh, We see that Peter preaches the first sermon of the church at Pentecost. But also Paul, then, is the second of the great personalities of the book of Acts. Paul is a a Jewish man. However, we will see that Paul is led to take the gospel to the the Gentile nations. Uh, He is is a pioneer missionary to the Gentiles of the Roman Empire. He is taking the gospel to all of the civilized world. So tonight, 
Uh, we're going to be looking particularly at the ministry of Paul and his life and his travels. And briefly, we're going to take a look at some of his writings. I'm going to give you some of the most important things that he wrote down. All of them are important because they're inspired of God. But we're going to take a look, take a look at some of the very key theology of the Bible through the pen of Paul. But let's think a little bit about Paul's life. Interestingly, we know a lot about Paul. He was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, roughly 10 A.D., so he is younger than Jesus. Uh, but uh, he, we find that out in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. He was raised as a strict Jew. He was raised under the, the law of what we know as the Old Testament. Uh, he actively became a leader of the Jewish nation as a young man. You could really tack on to him, uh, he was a super Jew. He was one who was totally committed to the Jewish faith and to the Jewish way of life and propagating the law of God through the Jewish life. His life revolved around serving God through the nation of Israel. Now, I believe, this is, this is not biblical, this is what I believe. I believe that Paul, who was really Saul in these days, his Jewish name was Saul. I believe that Saul was very aware of the life and the words and the miracles of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, although the Bible does not address it, I believe that Saul, as a super Jew, kind of kept up with this man who was in opposition to the Jewish nation. Saul kept his eyes on Jesus. He was a young man but I'm sure he was very, very aware of Jesus' ministry. Now, of course, many of Jesus' teachings dealt with the sin and the shortfall of the Jewish religious leaders. Can you imagine, for a super Jew, how that would anger Saul, that this man Jesus is teaching against the leaders of the Jewish faith? But if you remember, Jesus was not a fan of the leaders of the faith. He was not a fan of the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, in fact, there is a short address that is recorded of Jesus as he speaks to these Jewish leaders. If you want to flip over with me, go to Matthew uh, chapter 23. And we see an address of Jesus to these leaders. Now, I'm just going to read a few of the verses, so just kind of hang with me. Uh, but Matthew 23... So Jesus is speaking to the multitude, he's speaking to his disciples, but he's talking to and addressing the scribes and the Pharisees. So Matthew 23, look at verses 1 through 3. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works... For they say and do not. In other words, they preach, but they don't practice what they preach. They tell you what to do. They tell you how to practice a godly life, but they themselves do not do it. They don't practice that godly life. So that's the word of Jesus about the scribes and the Pharisees. Go on to verse 13. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 13. Notice that, it said, that he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites. Well, one of the worst words that you can use to someone is to say, woe unto you, because basically what you're saying is you are coming under the judgment of God. You will find that word in the book of Revelation for those who are going to come under the judgment of God. But Jesus says, woe unto you who are misleading in your teaching. And then he calls them a hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? I think the Greek word is hypocrites, and it means an actor. One who just pretends to be who they say they are. So he says, scribes and Pharisees, you are going to come under the judgment of God because you're simply an actor. You don't believe what you're teaching. You don't live what you're teaching. So look at the rest of verse 13. He calls them hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, nor neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. In other words, you are not actively reaching out with the love and the message of God. Look at verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. You pray long prayers, but you're praying with a hollow, disbelieving heart. Scribes and Pharisees, woe unto you. God's going to judge you because you're an actor. Look at verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Whew! I don't know if you see, this is a stinging word against the scribes and the Pharisees. This is a litany of what they're doing wrong as they're walking away from God and misleading the entire nation of Israel. Uh, Jesus did not have a love uh, for the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. He loved them, but he did not love what they were doing. What they were doing was absolute sin, and it was absolutely misleading people of God. Listen, friends, I want to tell you this. As I connect this with the modern day, there are preachers, and I'm not going to name any of them, but some of them are on TV. There are some preachers who stand in the pulpit, and they're misleading the multitudes. And I want you to know that these words apply to them. Here we are 2,100 years later. It applies to the pulpit today. Woe unto you to mislead the people. Uh, th- these words are still in effect. Uh, don't be a pretender. Don't, don't uh, mislead people. Practice what you preach. Do what the Word of God says to do. You're not simply a leader of others, but rather your life is to spring from the life of God. He goes on to call these Jewish leaders fools and blind and serpents. Uh, So he was not a fan of these leaders whatsoever and their hypocrisy. And Paul, the super Jew boy, only built up a hatred toward Jesus. I'm sure after hearing these teachings, hearing these words, watching his ministry... Uh, He was probably a young adult somewhere in his very, very late teens or his early 20s when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible does not tell us this, but I believe uh, Saul, the super Jew, witnessed that death. I believe that he hated Jesus enough that he made a special trip to watch him die and to somewhat celebrate the fact that this one who had challenged his faith had challenged his religion, and the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees was now gone. So he rose to be a primary Jewish leader, and as the church was established, he rose again as a leader of the, of the Jews. 
Uh, we see that he was a leader when Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, was stoned to death as a martyr for his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that in Acts chapter 7. Now I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. At least write that reference down. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And just hear this little description about Saul, the super Jew. And Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So, what we see here is that this man, Saul, was a piece of work. He was committed to the God of his box. He was committed to the God of Israel. He was committed to the law as he saw it in the Old Testament. But a major event happens that turns Saul's life around 180 degrees. I'm sure you know about this event if you're a student of God's Word. That is, he met Jesus Christ. In fact, he met Jesus Christ in person. You know, one of the definitions of an apostle, and Paul often refers to himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the defining moments of an apostle is that an apostle had to physically see Jesus. An apostle was one who physically witnessed the life of Jesus Christ. So Saul met Jesus Christ. Of course, you know he was on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute the church in that direction. Uh, And it's one of the most moving conversions of the New Testament. Now, we don't have time to read it all tonight, but I want you to write this reference down, and I want you to read this, his Uh, conversion devotionally tonight or in the morning use it for your devotions go to Acts chapter 9 and read verses 1 through 22 Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 22 you will see one of the most moving conversions from being lost to being found in Jesus Christ in the New Testament with the conversion of Saul uh, the super Jew who comes to Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. Acts 9, verses 1 through 22. Now, while I can't cover that entire conversion experience, uh, I want to to point out just a few key points in it. If you want to go to your Bible and just see these points or write them down, but let me give you just a few key points of his conversion experience. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these words. And Saul, yet breathing out, threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, meaning the Christian way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Uh, Let me just say there's a defining moment here. Do you notice there is no love in Saul's heart? You don't see any softness here. You don't see any inclination uh, to come to Jesus Christ in these first couple of verses. You'll also notice that Saul is so hard that he says, I want letters that I might be able, by the government's permission, to punish not only men, but also women who are following Jesus Christ. Most of the time, men were given the stricter punishment, and women were given a lesser punishment. 
Not so with Paul, Saul. He said, I want to equally punish men and women who are following the Lord Jesus Christ, throwing them in prison, maybe even bringing about the death sentence to them, men and women. Then Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Look at verse 4. Well, he meets Jesus. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So Jesus drives Saul to his knees with a confrontational question. Why, Saul, are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? Acts 9, verse 10. Uh, it's interesting here of how Saul goes into the city, uh, and God calls a believer to reach out to him. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. So God calls a man named Ananias to go to speak to Saul on behalf of Jesus Christ. And, of course, Ananias is scared to do that. This man had a reputation for killing Christians. And so God calls on Ananias to go and speak to him, and he was fearful to do that. He does go. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, even in Saul's deep hatred, God says, this is a chosen vessel of mine. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, talking to Ananias, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Isn't it interesting that God chose a man who hated him the most to serve him as a missionary? The plan of God is, is beyond our understanding. The plan of God is beyond our logic and our emotional capabilities. You know, when we have someone who literally hates us, it's hard to be around them. And yet God says, this man right now, in essence, hates my son, but he's a chosen vessel. I have chosen him for a great, great work. That speaks to me. You know, God can save the worst. God can save the person who is the most removed from him, the one who has done the most in a sinful life. And in fact, the one who has been the deepest sinner could very well be one of the greatest chosen vessels. That's exactly how God used the life of Saul one of the greatest haters of God, and he became one of the greatest chosen vessels of God. So, in other words, ladies and gentlemen, do not hold, don't withhold your witness from anyone, no matter who they are. They could very well be a chosen vessel of God. So, when Saul was saved, he was totally surrendered. He, he truly turned 180 degrees away from his sin and away from his hatred of Jesus and his hatred of the church, and he turns completely to Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. He turns completely to love the church and support the church and encourage the church and create the church. Immediately after coming to Christ, Acts chapter 9 verse 20 says this. Now, just after Saul came to Jesus, it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. A man who went from hating Jesus to a man who went to the synagogue to preach Jesus. What an amazing turnaround uh, that God brought about in his life. Well, soon after his salvation, Saul changed from the Hebrew version of his name, which was Saul, 
to the Greek version of his name, which was Paul. Now, if you, let's, let's think back to, to the book of Genesis. God literally renames Jacob in a miraculous way. He says, I'm renaming you. I'm renaming you Israel. You're going to be the father of the Israelites. You'll be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So God literally renames Jacob Israel. The name change for Saul wasn't really as miraculous as that, at least not from what I see in the Bible. His name was a name change from Saul to Paul, from the Hebrew version to the Greek version. Why? Because Paul knew he was going to be going to the Gentile, the Greek population. And so Paul was going to be a much more acceptable name when he walked in a group of people than Saul would be. He was establishing some common ground there. I have a Greek name. I have a Gentile name. And so immediately with his name, he already had a little bit of traction to be able to speak to a group of Gentiles. So after Paul was saved, he knew he needed to separate himself from the Lord. He needed to grow in his relationship with Jesus Christ. If God had actually chosen him as a great vessel of service, Paul knew that he had to establish a deep, deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So rather than immediately traveling to Jerusalem to be instructed by the apostles, Paul went to a wilderness desert east of Damascus in Arabia, southeast of the Dead Sea. And Paul spent three years alone in spiritual preparation under the instruction of the Lord alone. He was not instructed by a human being. For three years, he sat under the tutelage of growing in Jesus Christ, of a relationship with him. All of us need to grow in our relationship with him. You know, those children who accept Jesus Christ and are baptized, that's not the end of their journey. That doesn't mean they just bought their ticket and they're to wait the next 70 years uh, and just wait for Jesus to come. But rather, it's the beginning of a growing relationship. All of us should have an established, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul availed himself to three years under the instruction of Jesus alone in the desert, uh, spending that time with him. Uh, After the three years, he then went to nearby Damascus and on to Jerusalem to meet Jesus' apostles. But also there's another major moment in Paul's life. So we, we look at that major moment of his salvation. But we also now look at a major moment of transition as far as him being that chosen vessel of God who would be a, a missionary uh, in his life. So in this major moment in Paul's life, his compass becomes set as to who he's going to go to with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We find this in Acts chapter 13. He's in Jerusalem. He is with Barnabas. And he is speaking with a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And he's speaking about Jesus Christ, of course. He is preaching the good news. But in this meeting where there's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, the Jews of the group became hecklers. And they were rude, and they were angry, and they were contradictory, and they blasphemed the word of Paul as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the turning point. Write this down. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. It's a very important verse because this is a defining moment in the greatest missionary of the world's life. Acts chapter 13, verse 46 says this. In fact, let's go on and and let's back up. Uh, Let's go to verse 44 and read there. 
And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which are spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It is necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, speaking to the Jews, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. There's a defining moment in Paul's life. He's, he's getting heckled by a Jewish audience, and he says, I feel God's leadership. We have preached to the Jewish audience. You've let us know exactly how you feel about it, so our ministry now is going to be directed to the Gentile world. That's a major turning point, not only in the life of Paul, but in the life of the entire message of Jesus Christ moving into the world through these missionaries. So I want you to see that, how major that is in that moment of the Bible. So here's where Paul centers all of his mission outreach and all of his travel on the Gentile world. And this is the moment, really, that he becomes called to be a pioneer missionary. He is going to go into the Gentile world where the name of Jesus had never been heard. He's going to go into the Gentile world and he is going to speak the name of Christ and he is going to proclaim salvation in Jesus Christ. And as he sees people saved in the communities he's going through, he's going to take that little pocket of Christians and he's going to establish a brand new church there. He used to destroy the church. Now he works to create the church. One of the greatest missionaries of the world establishing the church through brand new Christians. Now tonight, that's just a little tiny minor outline of the high points of Paul's life. But you need to read this. Uh, In your Bible study, you need to read Acts chapters 9 through 28. And that gives you the lifespan of Paul. Uh, It's a good study of his life's history. Acts chapter 9 through 28. Paul is also the premier theologian of the New Testament. Paul's pen brings the major theology that we continue to thrive under as under inspiration of God. Paul writes down the theology of Jesus, the theology of the church. Now, in the next couple of lessons, we're going to take a specific look at his letters and who they're directed to and so forth. But for the remainder of this lesson tonight... I want to point out some of the major theological points from the pen of Paul. And all I'm going to ask you to do is write these references down. Uh, I'm going to move through them quickly. It's about 20 of them, but I want you to study them. This is an assignment to those of you streaming, to those of you here in our sanctuary, even those listening by an FM signal. I want you to study these major points of Paul's theology. Uh, Who picked these points of his theology? I did. So probably what you'll say is, I think Mike left out one or two, and I may have. But I chose these out of my Bible. These are, the, these are the points of theology that I have starred, and I've got red circles around them because I think they're so important. So this is certainly not an exhaustive list, but I want you to uh, look these up, write them down, and in days to come, look them up. The first one, I read a portion of it a while ago, is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Again, very uh, defining about who we are to minister to. Romans 1, 16, 17. Uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
By the way, uh, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 17 is the scripture that brought Martin Luther, the great reformer, to Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. Uh, he left the Catholic faith and became uh, the, the great leader of the Protestant movement. Uh, but Romans 1.17 is, is the verse of Scripture from Paul that brought Martin Luther to Jesus. Okay, another one. Romans 3.23, simple as can be. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. A defining word of the Bible that every person on earth needs Jesus because all of us sin. Uh, okay, so those are just... Those are just uh, a couple. Here's one more that uh, I love this verse. Uh, it's Romans 8.28. I know you know it well if you study your word. Uh, Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God is going to use us uh, in our ups and our downs for the good. Uh, he's going to use every experience of our life that we might be a witness for him. I believe that's true for us individually. I also believe that's true for us as a church, uh, that God will use everything. I, I can't explain it right now, and this pandemic is a hard thing to be going through. Uh, it's very difficult as we try to get our children's ministries back on the rails and all of the things that we're doing right now that, that just are out of order. And I don't understand it, and I don't like it, but I do know that God has some good purpose that's going to come from this era of time. That's all I can tell you, because God is going to work for the good through us. Okay, many, many others in Romans, uh, but those are three. I just didn't have much time. Okay, another, I wanted to go through each one of the letters and give you one or two. Uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, that says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The world, the unsaved world, does not understand the cross. But we know it is the power of God unto salvation, and we're to take that good news to the unsaved world so that they will understand. Also, a Roman, uh, rather, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We don't belong to ourselves when we're saved. We belong to him, purchased with a price. What's the price? The blood of the cross. Uh, I love those verses. I think they're primary. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Let me get to another one. 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 12 through 22, I will not read all of them, but this is a primary section. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 22. Uh, this is the defense of the resurrection. Read these verses. Uh, let, me just, let me just get started in it. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen... Then our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Here's the defense of the gospel through the pen of Paul, inspired by the Word of God. Very important passage. Uh, okay, let's move to 2 Corinthians very quickly. I'm getting really close on time, so I've got to move. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. 
I'm just going to give you the references now. I'm running close on time. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. This deals with Jesus leaving heaven for us, leaving the riches of heaven to come to the poverty of earth. Going to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. Then also, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Let me read you those very quickly. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, ye put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are all one in Christ Jesus. All of us are equally saved when we come to Christ as Lord and Savior. Okay, moving to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Our salvation was planned before the foundation of the earth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Nothing saves us but the faith in Jesus Christ. We can't buy it, we can't earn it, we can't be worthy of it, it's by faith alone. Also, uh, Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. And then let's move on to the book of Philippians. Uh, I, I want to give you Gwen's life, life's verse. Uh, it's an important verse, and she loves it. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He has a plan for our life. We have to be surrendered to following him every day, and he will perform his work through us in our faith to him. Also, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. This is, this is called a Paul's Christological hymn. Uh, it is a beautiful passage of Scripture as it describes Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and laid aside his heavenly glory, came to us. It's a Christological hymn, very, very important. Uh, okay, uh, let's move on to uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, meaning Jesus, for in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We're Trinitarian, uh, and that's a definitive statement for the Trinity. Also, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, the forgiveness of God. And also, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Those, those words just stir me. Every time I see them, nailing my sin to his cross. Wow, how can you not underline that in red? Okay, let me just very briefly give you a few more. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. First Timothy 2, 3 through 6. First Timothy 3, 1 through 13. These are, that's the qualifications of church leaders. Very briefly, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, talking about perilous times, I think it Fits right into where we are right now. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And then one from Titus. Titus 3, 4 through 7. Talking about leading people to Jesus. And Philemon, verse 16. 
It's only one chapter, so it's Philemon 1.16. Okay, that's about all the time we have tonight as we look at the, the life and the theology of Paul. We'll take a closer look at his letters uh, in the next two lessons to come. Thank you for being with me tonight uh, in this section of study. Uh, we had to move along. There's a lot of, lot of material in this lesson, but I'm so grateful you've been with us tonight. Streamers, thank you for being with us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for the life of Paul, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. I believe one of the most intelligent men of all time. Thank you that you used his brilliant mind to pour through your inspired word that he would put it on paper that still leads us today as the theology and the leadership of God in the church. Bless us, we pray, Father, as we follow you and as we surrender to you. Help us to know, Father, that just as Paul had a relationship with Jesus, we too have that relationship and you have a plan for our life. We are a chosen vessel and we pray you'll use us in Jesus' name. Amen. And good night.